Hello and welcome back to the Diaries of a Lady Gardener podcast, hosted by me, the Lady Gardener. Get ready to hear from your favourite Instagram gardeners, allotmenteers, flower farmers and plant gurus on this season of the podcast. We'll be hearing people's stories of how they discovered the joy of gardening, learning about their growing spaces and of course hearing about their biggest achievements and fabulous garden fails, because we all have them. I hope you love listening to us chat about the things we've done in the name of plants just as much as we enjoy recording. And if you do, it would really mean the world to me if you could leave us a review because it really helps to get the word out to more planty people and share these amazing stories. This season is sponsored by Akai Outdoor Wear, which if you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that barely a day goes by that I'm not dressed head to toe in their clothing, which is really made to last. I live in their thermal outdoor skinny trousers during the winter, which are bramble proof, waterproof and wipeable, perfect for days at the farm or the allotment. I've certainly put them through their paces and have been so impressed with the comfortable fit and durability of each and every item. And I have quite the collection now. So if you're keen to add some Akai pieces to your wardrobe, they've kindly offered podcast listeners an exclusive discount. So head over to the website and use code DOALG20 for 20% off your orders over £50. This offer ends on the 31st of May 2023. In this episode, I got the chance to chat once again to Andy from Urban Herbs, who has been making waves in the gardening community for quite some time now. With the launch of his new book, The Herb Gardening Handbook, and the incredible growth of his personal account at Andy Grows Herbs, it felt like the perfect time to catch up and hear how things have been going. Watch out, there's a late tomato grow along coming soon, which was a result of this episode, as we were talking about how Andy was going to transform his small growing space into a really incredible food growing project and so we're looking forward to seeing how that goes enjoy hi andy welcome back to the podcast it's great to be back how are you doing very well thank you how are you really tired it's that that time of year when there's literally not enough daylight hours to do my day job but I absolutely love it and actually I get more energy at this time of year you know when the sun shines and it has shone a few days this year so far so literally today and yesterday (laughs) yeah I couldn't find my sunglasses but do you know what the positive energy that comes when the sun shines is just absolutely amazing definitely it really gives you that hope for the year ahead I think that the you can really feel the buzz in the gardening community at the at the minute of that kind of like starting to sow their seeds it's the early season when you're just excited about absolutely everything before the tragedies have hit although my (laughs) first garden tragedy did hit today so you know starting (laughs) What, what what was the first tragedy well, so I've been lovingly caring for my little tomato seedlings um, since probably about mid-March. And they went to the allotment last weekend. I'm trying to think if it was last weekend now. Time is just a blur. Um, they went to the allotment about 10 days ago at this point, And I'd put them on a stool in the in the greenhouse. And I'd said to my mum, these really need to be pricked out. And... We left, completely forgot to prick them out, obviously went off. I was away this weekend. My mum's away at the moment. And I went there today to take a few photos and do a few bits. And the (laughs) trays are lying on their side on the ground. 
with just these very frazzled looking tomato seedlings. All the labels are mixed up and I've got some really special varieties this year that I was super excited about and I felt like I'd finally picked tomato varieties that were the exact ones that I was going to fall in love with. And so I've I've kind of tried to save them. Some of them look dead and I was like, do you know what? going to put them into fresh soil I'm going to prick them out I'm going to give them some water and I'm going to talk nicely to them and I'm going to pray that they revive but I do think I'm going to have to re-sow and like we're mid-April now and I don't know how, how well they're going to do because it's quite late in the season but we'll see yeah I, I feel like because I've been so busy with my day job kind of like getting everybody else's herbs out to them I feel like I've missed the window for sowing so many things myself personally. So I tell you what, Shan, shall me and you do a late tomato grow along? Yes, <laughs> let's do it. Also, the weather hasn't been super warm. So in my head, I'm like, but the season's only really starting to get to the point where it's warm enough now, like a month later than it should have really started getting warm. So I think we're going to have the best tomatoes ever. I think we should do this because... um I think some of the people listening to this will know that I've started a little bit of a kind of spin-off project in my front garden, which is a very, very small space. But I'm just trying to see, you know, how much food in a monetary sense I can grow in this tiny space. And it's fair to say I've been off to a bit of a sluggish start because the weather hasn't been ideal and I've been a bit distracted by, you know, my job. <laughs> do you know what we wouldn't know though from instagram it looks like you've absolutely soared ahead with those raised beds and getting things in progress it feels like you've done loads yeah i mean i built the raised beds and i kind of landscaped it and made it look nice all in about three or four days but the growing side of things is just where i sort of my day job took over i was growing everybody <laughs> else's herbs um but yeah, no, it, it, it's a really, really interesting project, mainly because I've actually put some monetary aspects into it. Because I found that actually that almost talking about the money side of growing was a little bit taboo. Mm -hmm. You know, I got quite a lot of kind of negative messages saying, you know, you, you can't save money growing food. And that really interested me. You know, it really, really interested me as a trend and it started to make me question why people are so adamant that you can't. And I mean, I would have been one of them. Mm -hmm. I would have been one of the doubters three or four years ago. But with the rising cost of food, um, you know, it really is important to, you know, to try and see if you can save money. And, you know, I live in a very, very sort of down to earth, down to earth area you know, where a lot of people are on low incomes and having to make really difficult choices about whether they put fresh food and veg um, in their shopping basket. And I think that growing food belongs in an area like this, and I'm on a mission to prove that it does. So my question is, and I promise you, we'll, we'll, have, a, we'll have a general chat in a minute, not just on your tomatoes. <laughs> Do you have any varieties of tomato seed that you reckon would be suitable for growing in that small space? 100%. I've got some really, really cool varieties. I've got some little cherry ones that might just be perfect. And because cherry, cherries are my favourite, um, I reckon I've got maybe two or three varieties 
that I might be able to share. Well, I look forward to receiving them, please. <laughs> because within my money challenge, I mean, if you send them to me, then that doesn't have to come off the cost of the garden, does it? Mm-hmm. How strict are we going to be about with this grow along? Are we going to grow sow them on the same day, at the same hour? I think we need to do a live sew along, don't we? We're going to have to. <laughs> We're the okay. people of Instagram. We have to do, have to relish the opportunity. Um, we'll book in a date for, can't do this weekend, but maybe next weekend. Let's do it. These are going to be the latest tomatoes ever, but <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Do you know what, though? I'm always saying how I think it's good to challenge the traditional seed packet sewing dates. Because a lot of people say, oh, you can't sow carrots after August, they'll never work out. And I've sown carrots in September and had really good carrots. So I think it's quite good to push the boundaries. And also for the people who think that they've missed the window for a whole nother year because they haven't sown theirs till April, we can kind of challenge that and put it to the test, see whether we are too late or not. And also, I think the weather patterns are changing a little bit. That, you know, there are some quite long term trends playing themselves out. And literally the last maybe five, six years, October has been a really lovely warm month. Yeah, that's so true. That I noticed, I think it was last year, that the years just blur together, don't they? <laughs> I noticed last year I was actually cropping tomatoes really, really late. Yeah, mine were really late last year. To be fair, nothing really ripened until that late September, October time. So it's all part of our master plan, isn't it? Mm, I think so. I'm excited for this. But going back to, we've kind of skipped the traditional intro. So can you give us a brief introduction for those people who have been living under a rock and don't know who you are? Who are you and where did your growing journey get started? Because I know it's a very exciting story. Yeah, so it's a bit of a a, a long winding road, but I've always been interested in growing things. I've always been fascinated in, like we were just talking about, sort of bending the rules in terms of what you can grow and growing different things. And a very, very long time ago, um, 13 years ago now, I, I left university, had no idea what to do with my life. And I came up with a, a master plan. I was going to study horticulture and I did. You know, I started to study horticulture one day a week. I loved it. But after about three months, I had to quit because I ran out of money. I literally couldn't afford the money to get put fuel in the car to get to the college. And so I needed another master plan. And plan B was I was going to study the history of religion. <laughs> I wanted to do a master's in the history of religion. Um, are you picking up this is a bit of a scattergun kind of master plan? Do you know what? I've heard this story before, but I'm really enjoying reliving it. <laughs> well, I, I hit a bit of a snag, Shan, because I didn't realise that you couldn't get a student loan for master's tuition fees. And so I thought about some of the stuff that I'd done on my horticulture course, and I came up with a, another master plan. And I was going to build a polytunnel in my mum and dad's back garden. I was going to pot up X number of plug plants sell them over the course of a year at farmer's market. And I did all the maths and I worked out that would pay for the polytunnel and it would pay my tuition fees. And it would give me loads of time to write my thesis. <laughs> and the thing is, is you know, I, I wrote my thesis, I, 
I submitted the dissertation. I completed the course. But also, I had a really, really great time. It turns out that selling um, a variety of plants at that point at farmers markets was a lot of fun. And instead of applying for a job, I saw, I thought, well, I've got a really viable business here, so let's give it a crack. And the rest is kind of history. I mean, that's 13 years ago now. And over the years, this has evolved a lot. You know, we started to specialize in just growing herbs. And so my company, Urban Herbs, was born. We started to challenge i suppose the traditional route so we didn't necessarily go to like garden events we went to street food markets very much selling our product as a culinary product we met up with some really cool street food chefs that they were very innovative so they didn't look at lime mint as an interesting variety of mint they just saw it as a flavor and we learned so much from those street food traders both in terms of the, the actual herbs how you can use them, but also the kind of their attitude to marketing, you know, actually reaching out to people and making their products accessible. We expanded, we went to food festivals, garden shows, and then COVID happened. And overnight we had to just reinvent ourselves. And so we started to build an online community around urban herbs, around the, the herb plants that we grow, stock and sell. And we kind of hope to attract other herb geeks like us, people that can't just have one variety of mint in their lives, people that think actually it doesn't matter what the Latin name for blackcurrant sage is. It smells like blackcurrant and it's great in a cocktail and it makes you smile. And we didn't just find a few herb geeks. We found thousands. And I mean, on a serious level, you know, during the long days of lockdown, so many people supported us during that time and actually messaged us to say actually you guys are supporting us because you know mental health wise we started to realize just how important these plants are you know the sensory qualities of these herbs but also the regular gentle exercise that they kind of force you to engage <laughs> in and we haven't really looked back you know we've tried to build a sort of a center of knowledge around these herb plants, but more importantly, like a center of inspiration. Because, I mean, you know, this is kind of breaking news, but to no one, I guess, but I am not your typical horticultural business owner. I I don't come from a traditional horticulture background, if there is one. Um, where I live, it's not normal to do this for a job. Uh, the business is called Urban Herbs, and for a long time we did our growing around two miles from the middle of the city of Birmingham. And so I see myself really on a mission to inspire people and share this message that actually growing these amazing herb plants is so much fun. And I always mess around with people saying that, you know, herbs are kind of like a gateway plant. They kind of, they get you started on on growing things. It doesn't have to be too serious. You don't have to have all the knowledge to start with. You don't have to worry if you don't know the Latin name. As I say, blackcurrant sage. It smells like blackcurrant. You put it in a cocktail. How cool is that? Love it. I think it's such a brilliant story and like a real inspiration to other people who are looking to 
whether they're looking to get into the industry or looking to get into growing and food and really that kind of connection with what's going on around us. But I would love to know your thoughts on the people who say, oh, I can't grow anything. I buy a basil plant from the supermarket and it just always dies. I can't grow herbs because it just I just can't. What What's your take on that? You know, the truth that I think nobody ever says. Some plants are easier to grow than others. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? So actually, true. you know, there are certain things that are easy to grow. There are certain things that are hard to grow. And I think very often, especially with kind of store or garden centre bought plants, it's really important to ask the people selling them, you know, how they've been grown prior to you receiving them. So there's sort of terms that we use in, in, in my industry. You'll describe something as hard grown or soft grown. And, you know, for example, the basil that you've just described from the supermarket, that would be an example of something that's been soft grown. So it's been heated. It's been kind of brought on uh, with a heater or a grow light. And the best example that I can give is my brother's got the best job title in the world. He's a doctor of space science. And he, he explained it to me really well. He said that w when astronauts go into space, They've done various experiments, growing plants, using a grow light. And the plants in orbit grew so quickly towards the grow light because they had no gravity to fight against. They were in absolutely perfect conditions. But the moment that they returned to Earth, these plants just fell over. <laughs> and that's because they have been grown in these perfect conditions with no resistance. And when a plant is soft grown, they are grown in these kind of like perfect conditions. And generally speaking, although it is possible to to salvage them, to grow them on, you're fighting a bit of a losing battle, really, because, you know, when the uh, that basil plant returns to earth, it's going to come down with a bump. So really, you want something that's been hard grown, that's been slow grown. Um, the herbs that we grow and stock urban herbs, for example, you know, they have spent a long time in unheated conditions. On a day like today, they've been battered by the wind. And they're actually stronger for that. And, you know, that being said, as I said at the beginning, some things are just easier to grow <laughs> than others. You know, basil, for example, it's not that easy to grow. I don't it's think. not. It's not an easy herb to grow. Um, coriander, you know, can be a bit tricky and it goes to seed quite quickly. Dill. Dill is another Forever one. bolting. Whereas, you know, one of the varieties that we absolutely love is a variety called basil mint, which grows like mint very, very vigorously. And when you cook it, it tastes like basil. So, you know, moral of the story, just grow, grow basil mint. <laughs> it's a win-win. Win-win. Um, and I think it's great as well that you're introducing so many... I mean, before I knew you and knew about urban herbs I had no idea that herbs were quite as cool and diverse as they are so things like the black currant sage I remember the first time I smelled a black currant sage and you hear people talking about it, and we talked about it on the podcast but you cannot quite imagine it's literally like Ribena the smell of it is unreal 
and it's stunning and it's great to kind of be introduced to so many new and exciting flavors and using them in kind of fun and different ways so for example the lemon curd thyme which came to Hampton Court Palace with us then was used in my Hampton Court Palace cocktail which was a mixture of Cape gooseberries, mermaid gin and a bit of lemon curd thyme and I would have never have thought to have used thyme in a cocktail in that way but that one's so fragrant and sweet and delicious and it just works perfectly to kind of set off something a little bit different with the Cape gooseberries and it it just worked wonders and was such a such like an uplifting element to the cocktail that you just wouldn't have thought of having not seen it on urban herbs because I I don't I've never been to a garden center and seen anything other than your bog standard rosemary mint thyme coriander parsley the really traditional basic varieties so it's a very exciting little world out there and I think it's really interesting because I think actually when we were building urban herbs we realized very very quickly that there's kind of no point only stocking maybe seven or eight varieties or ten varieties because actually we realized very very quickly that we were collectors <laughs> and actually a lot of our customers are as well but but also i like to think that all those different varieties of herbs actually you know they reflect us that everybody has different tastes everybody has a different food heritage you know especially living and working in a city like birmingham that is so diverse um you know if you have this huge range of herbs there's going to be something that appeals to somebody um a really random story that literally happened to me this morning um, one of our delivery drivers um, was off sick and we, we got a temp, a temp guy in a third party who was a bulgarian guy and he was so excited seeing all the customers orders on the trolley shelves and he was actually so excited that i had to sort of say to him like come on we need to get get the, get the orders where they're going because he was telling me about all the different things that you know he would use the herbs for in bulgaria and he was he was kind of sending me recipes he was sending he got my number and he was sending me on whatsapp recipes um you know for example um winter savory he was saying you know he's very popular there in, in bulgaria and, and and maybe there's something there as well the fact that herbs actually they bring people together because, you know, what does everybody in the world universally love? We all love food, don't we? More than life itself. <laughs> More than life itself. It's true. And actually, we worked in a primary school a couple of years ago. It's a primary school in Birmingham that at the time, and I believe this is still true, they had the highest percentage of kids for whom English was um, not their first language. And they had kids from all over the world. Um, kids from Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, um, lots of different African countries. And, you know, communication between the kids is actually a bit of an issue at times. But when we did a workshop with them and we brought the herbs in, all of those kids smell the same thing when they smell chocolate mint. Um, and there's a huge number of them, you know, recognized oregano, for example. Mm -hmm. And they were telling me like what they would use oregano for in their kind of home country and herbs bring people together and plus it gives me an opportunity to talk about food all day <laughs> i mean dream job over there so you've kind of 
You've talked about where the business started and we've briefly touched on the community aspect, but I think in the last, well, since COVID especially, but the last 12 months or so, the community element I feel has really grown in lots of different ways for you guys from the Herb Club to your exciting new book. And I'll let you pick which one you'd like to talk about first. Well, I mean, for those listeners who don't know, we launched Herb Club, which is a basically a membership platform for Urban Herbs customers, because basically we just wanted to go a little bit deeper than we could on social media. We heard this stat recently that on social media, you only have eight seconds to hold somebody's attention. I mean, isn't that slightly worrying and shocking that eight seconds is how long you have to tell a story? And that's not long enough for us. I don't think eight seconds is long enough to you know, deep dive in how you can introduce more wildlife into your herb garden or actually in the early part of the year, really talk through the process of how you go about setting up a herb garden from scratch. You can't do that in eight seconds. So, you know, I guess we also wanted to give something back to Urban Herbs customers, and this allows us to actually do two online workshops a month which have been absolutely amazing, by the way. The feedback's been really, really cool. And we've loved doing them, actually. We've had a really good laugh doing them. But I think Herb Club has given us the opportunity to do what we really wanted to do and actually build Urban Herbs as a centre of, I guess, kind of education, but also inspiration. And the community is really growing, and it's just beautiful to see. And... I'm glad that you mentioned my book because it gives me cha- it gives me a chance to plug it. Can I can I just go for it and plug my book? A hundred percent, go all out. There's so many people that are excited about this book, and I, you are the perfect person to tell this story. Well, I've written a book. I mean, who who would have thought? It's always been a kind of a bucket list thing for me. Um, I'm a massive, massive bookworm. I've always said that, you know, a bucket list thing is to write a book. And maybe just over two years ago, a publisher reached out to me and asked to have a meeting to talk through some ideas about the possible ideas for a book. And it's not something I'd really considered, you know, it was something I assumed that I couldn't do. Like, I guess, a lot of people, you know, your first instinct is it's too big, you can't do it. But I went into that meeting with one thing absolutely certain in my mind. I didn't want to write just another book about gardening. You know, there's already some excellent books about growing herbs out there. There's already a lot of general gardening books out there. That's actually on my shelf. (laughs) I didn't want to write just another gardening book. And so I was so shocked when the publisher said yes that I could do exactly what I wanted. And that was to write a lifestyle book, a book that actually makes herb growing look cool. And I guess, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, this is a book that does contain information. But for every bit of information, I like to think there's twice as much inspiration. And you could kind of break the book down into two parts that actually, you know, I provide a basic introduction to growing herbs. You know, I call it decoding the label that comes with the plant because I found that there's a lot of assumed knowledge 
actually when you buy plants, there's so much assumed knowledge, even down to quite basic things like on a label when it says about height and spread. You know, what does what does that spread mean? And whoever pays attention to that, have you who has ever looked at a plant label and gone height and spread? Oh, perfect. Well, that would be best at the back of the border rather <laughs> than the front because it's two meters tall. And you then you put it at the front and it grows to be too tall. And you're like, gosh, I, would have, I wish I'd have known. Yeah. And I also think that those labels are very, very often maybe like subconsciously geared towards people who have like more traditional gardens. And a lot of the customers that I met through Urban Herbs, you know, live in cities and their garden is kind of like a balcony that's maybe eight foot by three foot. So, you know, the, the book includes some knowledge, you know, we decode the label, we demystify the language of growing. But what I absolutely love is in that very first meeting with the publisher, we both actually were taking notes and we both, without realising it, wrote the same thing on a piece of paper. And that was that this book has to be a love letter to herbs. Plain and simple, because these plants have literally, as, I, as I've described to you, they, they have transformed my last decade of my life. <laughs> and this book really has turned out to be exactly that. It's turned out to be a love letter to these amazing plants. So after we decode the the language of growing, the book goes on to describe a number of herb growing projects that all of which they're not rocket science, they're achievable. Um, some of the projects, you know, you could do with kids, for example. My, my favorite is the, uh, the bee buffet, which encourages people to plant up a, a buffet for your local bees. And actually, this this idea comes from the idea that actually bees are increasingly deprived of urban sources of pollination. And, you know, there's no judgment here because it's just the way that life is. So many of us have embraced, you know, low maintenance gardening with vigour. And actually, loads of us have two cars in the house and therefore you have to pave over your drive. But hang on. Where do the bees get their food from? And I just thought it would be really cool if everybody in the world planted up a small bee buffet that the bees can visit, can harvest from. And the name buffet actually is, is really important because it's designed to provide a starter, main course, and then dessert for the bees, providing early season food. So, for example, um, Plants like chives that will flower relatively early in the spring and provide that early season source of food for the bees. Then the mid-season just explosion of colour varieties like Caborn, thyme, um, wine and roses, uh, creeping lemon thyme, creeping red thyme. Take your pick. The, the summer herb garden is just an absolute main course for the bees. But then also thinking about the late season as well. So the varieties of lavender. Um, I always re recommend the variety called lavender vera, that it flowers really late into the autumn and it provides that really lovely late season sort of um, source of food for the bees as well. And, you know, the bee buffet is just one example of the projects that is featured within the book. But what I love about it is that 
all of the projects can be very much tiered and um, scaled and actually adapted to whatever space you've got. So, you know, it is possible to, for example, grow a very, very mini herby flower farm. Um, not, be it not, not on the scale that you're doing, Shan, <laughs> but, you know, even if you've got a small balcony, you can actually choose varieties that you know are going to flower and be prolific and actually provide you with some cut flowers to enjoy in your apartment. You know, I think that's really, really cool that, you know, you could have a tiny little planter and you could legitimately call it your own tiny 50 centimetre by 50 centimetre herby flower farm. It's cool. mi micro flower farming on a whole new scale. <laughs> that's the phrase I was searching for. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And I think as well, like the idea with the bee buffet, amazing for the bees, but also isn't that what we're all striving for in our own gardens? But it's that finding the knowledge and working out actually how you're going to make that a reality in your own garden. Like for me at the allotment growing veg, I'm great at growing for that summer season in the middle. I am terrible at growing over the winter and growing in that hunger gap in the early, early part of the year. And as someone who's been doing it for years, I feel like I should have found that knowledge somewhere but I still haven't made it there yet. So I think it's really great that that's one of those things where I feel like if someone had taught me that when I'd first started growing and I had some key knowledge on how to plant throughout the year, I'd probably be in a completely different place now. So it's really great to give that kind of at the early stage of people who might be getting into it, give them some ideas and examples on how they can kind of take that on in the future. And it, if you start on a really small scale, like you say, it's a gateway herb. You are always going to want a bigger scale, whether that's you're moving into the next place you live is got a garden or whether you sign up for an allotment that you're going to wait six or seven years for because the allotment waiting lists are wild at the minute. But it definitely is one of those things that really encourages you to get outside. And I think as well, someone once said to me, um, I can't think who it was, maybe someone who I'd met at the allotment. And they'd said that they, oh, she's another allotment lady, lovely lady from round here. Someone had bought her, I can't remember if it was a house plant or a, a herb plant from like the sad plant sale at a supermarket or a garden centre. And she was really low at the time, really suffering with depression. She just was really not managing to get up in the morning, like really struggling and was a bit kind of confused by the fact that someone had bought her a nearly dead plant. <laughs> but she said what actually what it actually gave her was a purpose that plant needed her and she managed to bring it back to life and within a few weeks she started seeing the new leaves starting to grow and she could see the plant reawakening and coming back to life and it gave her the drive that she needed to bring herself back to life and then she got another house plant and then she got another house plant and then she started gardening in her own garden and then she got an allotment and it was a whole journey that it took her on from that just needing to care for that one plant and I think it's amazing. Do you know something, Shan? Like, that's a really, really common, I think, story that, you know, so many people relate to. During during lockdown, and I, I, I didn't know this at the time, but there was a, a customer that ordered from us every single week. And I later found out that, you know, she was living in a studio apartment on her own. 
and you know she was struggling uh, quite badly with depression and she told me that literally her windowsill just started to fill with nine centimeter herb pots and she, she wrote it so eloquently so lovely in an email to me she said actually there were days that she didn't want to get out of bed you know there was just no need there was just no need to get up and make breakfast there was no need to have lunch but she was looking at the plants on the windowsill and she was like well i might as well get up because i've got to water the herbs because yeah they need some water so i'll just get up and do that and then she notices that there's a little fruit on the alpine strawberry and she's like well i saw on instagram that it's good you know having the alpine strawberry fruit with breakfast so I'm, i might as well try that and she said genuinely it was like a lifeline that as you say it just kind of sucks you in it's just it encourages that gentle exercise that gentle engagement maybe with the environment around you and i really hope that you know as people read my book it still feels weird saying that my book uh, <laughs> but as people read my book i really really hope that they feel that you know i've discovered the best thing in the world and i'm trying to share it with them and i i think that that's how it's come across because actually the feedback so far has been absolutely lovely um so many people have actually reached out to me you know fairly sort of random people that haven't got a connection with urban hubs have actually reached out and said you know what you know i'm actually based in you know the the west coast of usa and I found a local herb supplier and I'm going to do the bee buffet. Or I'm going to build my own cocktail garden. And that is so cool. You know, it's an example of growing things, bringing the world a little bit close together. Absolutely. I'll let you know a little secret. You know, I've told you that story about me setting out bravely to write a, a book with a difference and, you know, build, uh, write a a lifestyle book. When I got the first copy, first proof of the book back, I was horrified because I couldn't believe what they'd done. You know, I, I said, I said to the publisher, like, genuinely, what the hell have you done? Like, this doesn't look like a gardening book. And they fired back to me and they said, Andy, you asked us, <laughs> you asked us to write a lifestyle book. And I look back at it as I was literally on the phone to the publisher and I was like, oh, I actually love it. And it's gen that's a genuine story. That's genuinely true. Those are my emotions because I realized that I suppose maybe I'd been a little bit conditioned to think that a gardening book has to look a certain way. But I very much wanted to appeal to people who, you know, maybe haven't got that kind of history with growing things who don't consider themselves, you know, gardeners in inverted... Horticulturalists. Speak. Yeah, horticulturalists. I think that's what it says on my van insurance, actually. I think I, <laughs> I think I describe myself as a horticulturalist. Something random like that. But I really wanted um, this book to be for people who aren't traditional gardeners. Yeah, I guess people maybe like me 13 years ago. But the people who don't consider themselves gardeners. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think that's absolutely right. We talk about this so much with the Mini Gardeners Club, with adult workshops, with anyone we speak to at any time, especially in the events we've 
been at recently is that people saying oh I can't grow anything I'm not a gardener blah 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 but actually it takes so little to be a gardener and you don't you don't have to have any qualification there's no little blue tick that goes congratulations you've officially passed the 60 hours worth of experience needed to become a gardener you may now level up there's no criteria on what it takes to be a gardener like you can grow anything and you don't have to call yourself a gardener you don't have to call yourself a horticulturist when people say oh you're a horticulturist I always say no I don't think I'm quite at that level yet but you know maybe if I do a degree or something Whereas for me, the term gardener is quite like an all-rounder, but then you've got like allotmenteers, herb growers. You don't need to label it. Like if you grow anything, you can you can be a part of that community and it is an amazing place to be. And actually, that's a really, really important point that I think the journey with Urban Herbs has actually taught me that there is no typical customer for Urban Herbs. Mm-hmm. Um, there are marketing exercises out there that get you to try and describe your typical customer. And for us, that's very difficult because there genuinely isn't one. But one of the things that really, really fascinates me about, about growing things, but also about growing specialist plants, you know, things that are a bit different is that absolutely, you know, our customers are like traditional gardeners. They've got the blue tick next to their name, but, there's also another really large group of people that's represented in our customers. And those are people who are maybe a little bit like me, like a little bit counterculture. People that actually like random things and actually consider themselves to be a little bit different. And actually, you know, that's something to be proud of. I think the fact that, you know, at Urban Herbs, I think this year we're aiming to stock 115 different varieties of herb plant. And I think, you know, the people that I'm talking about are people that actually get how cool that is. That actually, they don't want their garden to look just the same as somebody else. They want to grow random things. They want to grow berries and cream mint, pineapple sage, strawberry mint, lime mint. And maybe there is something you know, maybe we've hit on something really powerful here that there is something counterculture about choosing to grow things, you know, in a day and age where apparently you can get whatever you want at the supermarket. Although who knows when this podcast goes out, whether or not that will be the case or not. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird time we're living in, but I think as well, it's that kind of the real shift we've seen lately with that kind of almost going back to to, to traditional ways in that we're going back to that really wholesome way of living whole foods growing our own and trying more like heritage varieties but in a in a very kind of modern way where we're not necessarily just accepting what we've been told we're kind of like breaking the rules a bit and being like yeah we're gonna go back to that wholesome way of life but we're gonna do it in like our own way that's like not that it wasn't cool before but now it's kind of like it's a cool thing to do. And I think it's amazing that people now look at gardeners and gardening and gardening people on Instagram and go, that's, oh, that's really cool. Rather than laughing and going, when are you retiring then? <laughs> well, it's funny. We've literally both myself and my wife, we've, we've recently started watching. Do you know the 70s sitcom, The Good Life? I've heard of it, but I've not seen it. 
Oh, I mean, it's literally, it, 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 they didn't mean to do this, but they've created a documentary about me and Kate. <laughs> and we were saying, anybody listening to this that knows the good life, um, contact me and Sh- Shannon on social media and put your suggestion in. How many followers would Tom and Barbara have on Instagram <laughs> if they were doing that in 2023? I'm going to have to watch it now. Oh, it's it's actually quite strangely inspirational because um, you know yeah okay it's it's the 70s so it is you know the, the two main characters they are being counterculture by giving up the rat race and growing their own and becoming self-sufficient but strangely we were both saying earlier today it doesn't seem quite as funny as maybe it did five years ago that actually we're both watching it kind of going wow but they're making some good points here about quality of life and actually you know what do we do it all for um i mean the two characters i'm talking about are aiming to be self-sufficient so they probably wouldn't be buying my book but (laughs) i I hope they'd enjoy it regardless i'm sure that they'd still have it on their bookshelf (laughs) you know coffee table book yeah and i think that actually you know, one of the really, really, really cool things about the, my book being published is that there's been feedback from literally all around the world. So um, the book sold really strongly in the UK, as you'd expect, but in the USA and also in Australia. And so many people from those um, continents, you know, have messaged me and they've said exactly the same things that we've been talking about here. You know, that they definitely wouldn't consider themselves to be horticulturalists. But, you know, they like the idea of having a herbal tea station, a living herbal tea station in in their apartment. And I think that's really, really cool. I think that's really cool. It must be amazing to know that you've kind of inspired people to do something different. And you must have changed many a person's life over the past however many years of selling and growing herbs. but. I think the way you guys document it all on social media as well is such a, it's a very, um, trying to think of the right word to describe it. I want to say almost like raw, like there's no kind of, you're not putting a mask over it, that it's a very glamorous life and you're flouncing around in a polytunnel full of herbs all day, taking videos and living this kind of like fairy tale-esque life. Like you've got the nitty gritty raw it is actually really hard running a business, but there's the such an amazing positive that comes with it and kind of living that dream lifestyle. And then with your Andy Grace Herbs account, kind of sharing actually a bit more behind the scenes of what it's like to be in that kind of lifestyle of growing. Because I think that we I talked about it in a podcast recently, but it's it's a complete personality to be into gardening because your entire thought process of every single day revolves around something growing orientated and where five years ago I never would have ever thought about compost whereas this year me and my mum sieved compost for about two hours and were giggling like children at how good the compost we'd made was and we were like look at look at our amazing compost and it's that kind of every every single element of your life has changed when you become like a diehard gardening addict 
And I think it's great to see so many people living that kind of life that revolves around growing from they've set up a business that is successful and that is allowing them to live somewhat of a life that they they dream of like the hard graft is actually so worth it when you're getting to do something that you enjoy so much I mean I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here this could be your segment tell me about Andy Grows Herbs and kind of what you're what you're trying to share on there that's different from the the traditional content you share on urban herbs I love what you just said um about the kind of the raw element because that is really, really important. And actually, with Urban Herbs, we have, we've been trying to basically walk a bit of a tightrope. So we're big believers in positive energy. We try to keep everything positive because, you know, there's enough negativity out there. We don't want to add to it. And, you know, we follow a mantra, which is that we define ourselves by what we are rather than what we are not. So, you know, define yourself positively. And yet in February this year, um, you know, there were well-documented shortages of fruit and veg in UK supermarkets. You know, some UK supermarkets brought in like rationing of fruit and veg. But more than that, for the last kind of two years, the price of food has been going through the roof. And I mean through the roof. And do you know something where we live on paper it is described as an area with significant social deprivation um i don't really like that label because i don't think it tells the whole story you know i, I love where we live I, I genuinely do and the people that we live with live around you know are amazing and there's a real community but it's an area where there's a lot of low incomes and in areas like this people are having to make really really hard choices you know, people having to choose potentially to, you know, leave fruit and veg out of the shopping basket in favor of kind of processed foods. And um, my, my, my a bit of a glamorous, my, I had a glamorous adventure in November because uh, I was able to go to New York to help publicize the book. And as I was wandering around New York, I stumbled across this amazing rooftop garden in the middle of Manhattan where this food bank is literally growing food on the roof, sort of snipping courgettes or whatever and taking them downstairs to go into food parcels. And, you know, it was, it was a great visit to New York, but it was also a bit of a sobering visit because anybody listening to this will know that New York, like many cities, has got big social challenges at the moment. And I suddenly realised, as I'm walking around the supermarket hit back in the UK, that actually, you know, with the food shortages, actually, if they can grow food in a small space and make such a big difference in New York, surely we can here. So I set myself a target, and the target was to dig up the um, the tiny front garden of the former council house where we live. It really was actually a really small space and set myself a challenge, do it like a game and see how much money I can save us by growing food. And I actually set quite strict rules. Like we had a bit of a very geeky discussion about the rules of the game. 
So we've accounted for absolutely every cost. And we've not allowed ourselves to use any of the advantages that running a horticultural business kind of gives us. So, you know, we haven't been able to use compost that Urban Herbs has purchased. We haven't been able to use um, tools that have been bought by Urban Herbs, for example. And because I was so conscious of the budget and, you know, to prove that people on low incomes can do this, because, you know, breaking news, I'm, I'm probably one of them, really. Um, you know, I literally salvaged um, stuff out of skips. You know, there were roofers working across the road and I, I said to them, have you got any offcuts of wood that I can use? And they were so grateful to get rid of it rather than put it in the skip. So, so much of that growing space um, was reclaimed. And, you know, I can give you an exclusive here. That after all the outlay, I've actually started to harvest my first hardy herby salad. How exciting. And do you know something? When those little bags of salad that you can buy in Asda cost, you know, £1.20 and you get through them in no time, you know, the minute you open the bag, the clock's ticking on that going off. I think we're going to save ourselves some money here. Um, it's exciting for me because obviously having done growing on a commercial basis, it, it kind of desensitizes you to it sometimes. I mean, you know, like whenever I smell like blackcurrant sage or um, lime mint is the one that gets me. You kind of remember the first time that you encountered it and it makes you kind of um, it makes you as excited as you were the first time, basically. But what I've absolutely loved about my front garden project is because of those really strict rules that we've brought in. I've actually started growing on windowsills for the project. And for the first time in years, my house, all the windowsills. Are covered in seedlings again. And when we do our tomato grow along, it's going to have a few more. I'm so excited for this. Do you know what's really disappointing, though? Just as a complete side note, the windowsills in my new house are so thin. They're not like window ledges where you can put things on. But I mean, you can probably see one one here. This one has got like a mirror balanced on it and I've balanced lots of thin things. But it's about seven centimetres thick and there's a ridge in the middle. And so you can't, nothing sits flat because the ridge is a few millimetres higher. So I have really struggled with the windowsill seedlings this year because there's only the kitchen windowsill that you can put stuff on. And that was chocker from day one. We're both such gardeners because the minute <laughs> the minute that you said seven centimetres, I was shaking my head because I was, I was like, I feel your pain. Yeah. And that faces north as well. So it's not even a really sunny windowsill. The other side of the house is the, but it's, it's just a nightmare. Honestly, someone needs to figure out some genius. I've actually just thought of one. Have I seen this somewhere? What I need is one of those shower racks that's got the suckers on to put on the windows with the pots in. Do you know what I mean? Like I've, a yeah, I've seen these. Yeah, I I can I can envision it in my head. That's what I need for my windows. Don't know why I didn't think of that sooner. Genius. You can send me some of them for our grow along as well. Yeah. <laughs> I might start selling them from a shop. I'll find a good supplier. I'll be like window, window hanging racks for people <laughs> with small, small window sales. I think um, 
you know the, the one thing I just wanted to quickly say about the front garden growing project as well, just because it's literally it's it feels really topical for me. I mentioned earlier that you know there was a little bit of skepticism, a little bit of negativity around the the idea of saving money around around growing. Earlier today, um, you know, our next door neighbour is having an extension done. And there's a lot of builders literally just camped out um, working on the extension, um, spending all day kind of at the front of our house. And they were really interested in the project. You know, they're asking me what I'm growing, why I did it. And after getting a little bit of negativity on social media around this, from people who I got the impression maybe, you know, had a little bit more space to grow in than what I do. The reaction of the builders today, not one of them was negative. Not one of them laughed. Every single one of them got it. Straight away. Straight away, the comments were, yeah, like, I can't see how you're not going to break even on this when you're paying like a pound a bag for the salad in the supermarket. Because that's the thing, you know, if you're having to make difficult decisions about income you know you tend to know the notice the price of food more you know and actually you know the last time that i walked around the supermarket i was stunned by the price so um i need those tomato seeds <laughs> sooner rather than later i think that gardening is a good game of beg borrow and steal not i don't mean literally steal but um, I think that it is easy to get sucked into the fancy gardening things that there are. And I am terrible for it because I see something fancy and shiny and new and I'm like, I really want that. But a lot of the stuff on my allotment, in fact, it's probably like 95% of it is made from recycled materials or things that I've swapped brownies for scaffold boards um, Chris, if you're listening, I know I stole you some cookies for these scuffled boards for the farm. <laughs> um, but there's there's so much that you can do for free or for a really low cost. As long as you get a bit more creative, it's easy to look at the price of things and go, that's too expensive. I couldn't do that. But actually, once you've you've taken some time to think about it and to ask other people for suggestions, it really is a quite a fun little game, I think. And the same with seeds. I actually was a um, little story of my week. I was looking for sweet corn seeds and I want to grow like 200 sweet corn plants this year because it's my favourite crop and we never grow enough of it. But I've always had quite good success with it. Touch wood. I hope that this year is equally as successful. I can't think of anything wood to touch. But um, so I've, I was trying to order 200 seeds and everywhere I went online, the seed packets were like £3.50 for 35 seeds. And I was like, oh, I'm not paying £3.50 a packet. Um, and then after doing a bit of research and looking at the wholesale, I managed to order, I think it was like 500 seeds for like a fiver. Um, and that's going to feed my allotment. It's going to feed all of our little mini gardeners projects with corn for the rest of the year. And there's going to be so much that we can do with that um, for a low cost. But it's that kind of, like you say, um finding other ways to look at it and asking people for seeds the amount of seeds i have left over in a tin every single year just because you get a 
you get a packet of seeds and you pay a lot of money for a packet of seeds and a lot of the time there's like 500 to a thousand seeds in there do you need 500 to a thousand broccoli seedlings absolutely not so you can share the wealth and quite a lot of um my gardening friends in the local area will like share seed orders so it's like okay I'll have a pinch of that and you can have a pinch of this. And then we're kind of swapping and getting the most out of those seed packets. Um, and seed swap events, fantastic. If there's any going on around you, so worth going to. We were hosting at one the other day and it was just brilliant. We met so many amazing people. And there were so many people that had been super generous. with they. It was like a seed and plant seed swap so generous with the plants that they were giving away there was like avocado trees that people had grown from the stones in their kitchens it was amazing wow i mean i i think it's really really amazing as well to like to share that knowledge because maybe that's something that people wouldn't think of when they're first starting their gardening journey definitely because- and I think as well, it's so you you're so excited when you get started that you want to go and order everything. But just because you're ordering it and you're having the control over it doesn't mean it's going to be the best version. If someone's recommending a seed to you, it's probably because they've grown it before and they know that it works well, especially in your local area. If you can get saved seed from someone who grows in your microclimate, that seed is adapted to your local conditions and it's going to grow so much better for you than if you're ordering seeds from across the world. And I think it's interesting as well, because I think sometimes, you know, there's economies that you can make. And sometimes they're false economies. Um, and that's that's where I think, you know, this is quite interesting because, you know, the reaction to what we've been doing with um, what I've been doing with the Front Garden Project, you know, it has been amazing. You know, it's generated a lot of interest, but it's also generated like a lot of opinions. And it's just been so interesting to hear those opinions. because. You know, for me, I guess I come from come at it from a unique perspective because it's like with an industry background, you know, end up with a background of actually growing in bulk. And literally the very first day that I kind of went to just dig over the front garden, I put the um, put the spade in the ground. It must have gone down about an inch. And then it just hit something solid. <laughs> I, I thought, oh, we had a bit large rock I'll, just, I'll leave that put my spade in about three foot across hit something else hard literally there was only barely an inch of soil and then it was just literally buried hardcore underneath the soil and that's such a common yep so i was like okay um you know ultimately you know save my back a little bit put raised beds in and that that was the biggest cost actually because I, I wanted to actually make the raised beds like a um, uh, custom size i didn't want to use like i could have maybe salvaged wood and had the beds at random sizes but i wanted to make really really good use of the space so the biggest um, expense was actually buying some wood for the raised beds but i think that's going to pay me back um i think the productivity would have been majorly affected by the uh the shallow depth of soil you probably still wouldn't have beds i would think <laughs> <laughs> no, I think very, very much. Um, it's very, very doubtful. So I have to ask, because it's my new favourite question of the season. How do you plan your space? Are you like uh, ideas in your head, pen and paper, Excel spreadsheets? How are you planning? So I, I drew a picture 
while I was sitting next to the fire, feeling uh, angry about food prices. And to be fair, I'll post this as a reel, I think, in the next week or so, you know, comparing the original plan to an overhead shot, how it actually turned out, because we actually found, believe it or not, a manhole cover. Oh, wow. Um, which we did not know was <laughs> covered. Um, so we had to sort of adapt the shape of one of the raised beds. But, but yeah, like definitely pen and paper. And, you know, I, I'm a bookworm, so I read loads and loads of books and I tried to come up with a plan. But the thing is, is and you know, for anybody who's starting their growing journey, every year, Every year is different. Um, the weather is different. And, you know, like this year, we're behind. You know, I think everyone is really. And, you know, my I set myself a very optimistic kind of target in, you know, in each of the beds working out what I'm going to replace um, for a second crop. Mm -hmm. And I think, to be honest with you, I think my uh, my broad beans, they're going to have to go to town to uh get a crop out and then get out of the way ready for the next the next crop to come in because um you know and that and that's kind of like that's the beauty of growing that's the challenge of growing as well to be honest with you um and you know the i know it's a bit of a cliche now because everybody knows it and everybody says it but the instagram gardening community has been amazing because i've been able to bounce ideas off so many people It really is one of those places where you never feel alone. I think it's, there's so much inspiration and everyone's so willing to help everyone with everything. It is just brilliant. Um, but interesting to hear that you're a pen and paper. The last few guests I've had have been definite Excel sheet um, planners, but I'm very much a best laid plans and all that. But ultimately, sometimes you get there and you go, this is a crop that needs to go out. <laughs> And it goes into whatever space is free. Um, so what are you most excited to grow in your garden space? Have you got kind of specific vegetables, fruits that you're, they're the ones that are like your creme de la creme? Yeah. And I've really designed the space based around, you know, quite, I suppose, quite boring criteria, which is like, you know, just simply what we use most of mm -hmm. because, you know, as I say, there is a sort of a competitive element to this in terms of the experiment. And one of the things that, you know, we just use day in, day out is spinach because we just tend to chuck spinach into just every dish just to kind of bulk it out a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I'm probably most excited about growing sort of things like spinach, but also maybe some fun kind of salad herbs. Mm -hmm. So, um, burnet salad, um, celery leaf. Um, have you grown mustard? Um, red giant no um so it's got like a kind of like a, a nice uh, attractive colored leaf and it's got a little bit of a um a spicy tang mm -hmm. and so that's really cool when growing that mustard wasabi as well oh so it's like mustard but it's got like a wasabi flavor that's really nice in a kind of summer salad so i'm excited about that um but i'm also really excited to see whether or not growing more kind of like targeted um salad herbs fruit and veg whether that actually changes what we eat um you know whether or not 
you know, I'm not perhaps you know it might evolve a little bit into not just actually providing us with what we we know we already use, but you know, will it make us actually embrace a slightly more plant based lifestyle? I think that'd be really interesting to see. I think that it's one of those once you start growing your own, I definitely get much more creative with what I'm cooking because when you end up with a glut of something, you're like, what am I going to do with this so that I'm not eating the same dish for the next seven days straight just to not waste the crops? And I am hold my hands up the worst one for it in that I'll grow loads of amazing crops and then I'm a bit busy or I drop it off with my mum and she's a bit busy and then so much ends up going to waste so for me this year the biggest focus is actually on using the produce and working out the best ways to use that so that if it's something that we've got a real glut of now how can we preserve that so that we can use it again in the future or is there something that we can kind of do with it in the immediate term so that it's going to last longer whether that's like the corn because I'm planning to grow 200 corns this year um we're gonna blanch them and freeze them as we pick them so that we can hopefully have them for more than just the one day because we sit and eat 20 cobs in one go because it's our (laughs) favorite crop and so I'm really excited to just kind of have a bit more fun with it and really ingrain it in our lifestyle rather than going food shopping and then working out what we're supplementing from the allotment i want it to be the allot the garden first what are we doing with those crops and then supplement what we need from hopefully more local farm shops because there's some there's some really great shops that have opened us up around us recently that have mean you can reduce your reliance on the supermarkets because a lot of the things that you couldn't get elsewhere for quite a long time now seem to be a bit more ready, readily available from the kind of smaller more independent shops which i just think is brilliant and now i'm going to be adding some delicious tomatoes to our summer menu as well yes you, well there's so many so many incredible tomato recipes and the one that i never got around to anyone who's listening to this who listened to the episode with i think it was home green with the haydens tomato soup cake is definitely on the cards for this summer. We're 100% going to make it um, for when we get the big tomato glut. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> That's what we're doing at the end of our grow along. We're going to make tomato soup cake and everyone's going to love it. <laughs> Let's absolutely do it. I don't know if it's, I'm still debating it a year later. Well, it's not quite a year later. It was probably October last year. But whether it's a cake that you have with butter, like a cracker, biscuit and cheese thing, or whether it's a sweet cake. I just don't know. Well, I'm willing to be guided by you on this. <laughs> um, the last time that I ended up with a, a glut of tomatoes, I decided to make chilli sauce. Nice. Um, I did a like tomato kind of chilli chutney. Mm-hmm. That's my favourite thing to do with tomatoes. I actually used Carolina Reaper chilies. Um, and I, I followed the recipe very diligently and I left it to simmer in the saucepan and then two hours later we actually couldn't go into the kitchen because it was like tear gas had just been um, (laughs) launched into the atmosphere i mean i've got to say actually the 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 chili chutney that resulted from that experiment was actually lovely Mm -hmm. um fairly inedible (laughs) but but lovely Maybe want to try again this year with slightly less spice. Let's do it. You send me the seeds and I'll send you some chilli chutney. Fantastic. I am not good with spice though, so please tone it down. 
Well, it's unlikely to be Carolina Reaper this year. I'm something, something mild like the Trinidad Scorpion or something. <laughs> the look on your face is not filling me with confidence there. <laughs> um, so a few final questions. I would love to know if you have a plant nemesis. Hmm. That's a really great question. I'm going to and say. This is where you're like, no, I can grow everything really well. No, I'm going to say delphiniums. Oh. Because they, they look good for about 30 seconds. <laughs> it's not me. They look good for about 30 seconds. I'm also tempted to say Christmas um, potatoes. Mm. I've got a bit of a sort of like a dream of growing the entire Christmas dinner and they tend to be my nemesis. Do you know what? It's my dream too, that I've never got anywhere close. We'll do that this year as well, shall we? It's <laughs> <laughs> another one for the list. Yeah. I think it's time to say Brussels about now. <laughs> yeah, that, that's something for the uh, for the front garden. Mm. Do you know what though? I really like the, have you seen the Kalettes? They're like flower sprouts. Oh. They are a very, very pretty vegetable considering it's a sprout. So th this this podcast is generating a lot more things for me to plant. <laughs> I might have to send you a little seed parcel with all of the things that I've got spare. Well, and I'll send you some chilli chutney in return. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time this evening, Andy. It's been really, really great to catch up with you again. Um, for anyone looking to get the book, join Herb Club, etc., give us all of your ats and handles. Yeah, so... Um, if you'd like to join Herb Club or order the book, if you're in the UK, you can order the book directly from Urban Herbs and search for us on Instagram, one word, Urban Herbs UK. But if you'd like to follow my journey in terms of the um, the front garden project and, you know, some of these, the work that I'm doing around sort of urban growing and sort of food inequality, um, search for me, at, again, one word, Andy Groves Herbs. Fantastic. I am so excited for the tomato so long. Um, I'm going to write, I'm going to go and pack up the seeds literally after this so that I don't forget. I'm away this weekend, but I'll post them to you on Monday, I promise. Oh, thank you so much. And keep your eyes peeled for the so long date because we will share it shortly after this episode. <laughs> I literally love it. I can't wait. So excited. You made it to the end of the episode, which means you must have enjoyed it. And if you did, I'd be ever so grateful if you could head to your favourite podcasting app to give us a follow and leave us a little review, which helps to get these stories out to more amazing planty people. If you've got any questions or stories you'd like to share, find me over at Diary of a Lady Gardener on Instagram. And don't forget to head to Akai for some fabulous new outdoor wear using the code DOALG20 for 20% off your order. That's all from me this week. Happy growing!